0: CHAPTER One OF NEQUA, OR THE PROBLEM OF THE AGES, BY JACK ADAMS. THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. RECORDING BY JEFF BURKE. BENEATH THE MIDNIGHT SUN My private office was on the second floor of the sanitarium, which I had fitted up in Kansas City to meet the demands of my large practice in the treatment of chronic diseases. The furniture consisted of a large bookcase containing my library of standard works and other publications useful in my practice a writing-desk a few chairs sofa and other conveniences usually found in such places one door opened into the hall and another connected with my bedchamber bathroom and laboratory in the rear in the front was a large bay window where i often sat in a meditative mood concealed by the heavy lace curtains looking out upon the throngs of people and numerous vehicles passing to and fro on the street below on the opposite side of the main hall and separated from it by the wide stairway was the parlor where i received visitors in the rear of this were the consultation and operating rooms i usually lunched in my private office my meals being sent up to me on an elevator from a restaurant connecting directly with the sanitarium as a rule no one but the office boy who occupied a small room over the stairway was ever admitted to my private office the boy attended the door conducted visitors to the parlor, and then reported who was in waiting. If I cared to see them, I went around the head of the stairs to the parlor. Otherwise, I was not in. Many of my patients came from a distance and had lodgings and board in the sanitarium. Others called at my reception rooms during my regular office hours, which were from 9 to 11 a.m. At other hours, I was ordinarily occupied in my private office, reading, thinking, and writing or in my laboratory, compounding medicines, etc. But it was generally understood that I frequently drove out, and hence people calling to see me, except during office hours, were not surprised to learn that I could not be seen. This arrangement was an absolute necessity in order that I might have time to attend to my large correspondence and make my usual study of the diseases of patients who had placed themselves under my treatment as their last hope of regaining health. My success in treating these cases, which had been given up as incurable, was such that the sanitarium was always full, and it was a rare thing indeed that I called upon patients at their homes. One bright and unusually pleasant day in June of 1890 something, after I had attended to my patients, I retired to my private office, feeling that a call, even from my most intimate friends, would be very undesirable. I wanted to be alone. I had many letters to write and other work that i could not well neglect but i seemed in spite of myself to have lost my usual active interest in my business i felt oppressed and dissatisfied with its restraints and after worrying through with my most important correspondence i got up and paced the floor to and fro what could it mean why was it i felt this restless longing for something that seemed just beyond my reach my business was flourishing my health was never better my friends were numerous, and all my surroundings pleasant. Then why was it that I could not compose myself to read or write? Whenever I tried to do anything, my mind involuntarily reverted to the past, and especially to a voyage I had taken some years before in the capacity of ship surgeon. At last, I despaired of being able to complete my work to my satisfaction, and determined to indulge this irresistible tendency to retrospection. All the afternoon, whatever I did or attempted to do, my mind turned to jack adams a beardless young man who shipped on the same vessel with me as supercargo turn which way i would his image loomed up before my memory with a vividness that was startling why should i be continually thinking of him true we had been the closest of friends and often spent hours together in the most enjoyable conversations however notwithstanding our intimacy there had ever hung around jack an air of fathomless mystery His character was faultless, his modesty, refinement, and culture unexcelled. His perceptions were keen, his reasoning powers deep and comprehensive, and his innate truthfulness inspired everyone with unlimited confidence who came in contact with him. In times of peril, he was courageous as a lion, and yet he was gentle as a woman. He was of medium size and perfectly rounded form, too refined in his appearance to be masculine but none the less active and efficient. And I must say that his face was the most handsome and the most expressive of the finer emotions of the soul I had ever met with in man. We were the most congenial of associates, and I was more attached to his personality than I had ever before been to one of my own sex. Though young and beardless, his intellect was mature beyond his years, and by common consent the old and experienced soon came to honor his unusually remarkable judgment to me he was a phenomenon that i was utterly unable to fathom while he was not shy he was always reserved in retiring he never intruded where he had no business except in my cabin where he often came to while away an hour discussing themes of lofty and far-reaching import he seemed not to live on the common plane of ordinary life but soared far above it still he attended to all his duties in a prompt and energetic manner often lending a helping hand to others when there was no necessity for him to move a muscle he seemed to take real pleasure in lightening the burdens of others even at a sacrifice of his own comfort such was jack adams who had worked himself up from the most menial employments on shipboard to a position of responsibility such was my most valued friend always reserved and reticent with others but genial sociable and confidential with me notwithstanding the disparity in our ages. But why should he now be intruding upon my memory, and holding my thoughts to himself by a mystic cord which I had no power to break, much as I had striven to do so? I had left the sea at the close of this voyage, the memory of which had haunted me all day. I had scarcely thought of Jack Adams for years, and now I found it impossible to keep from thinking of him all the time. I became almost superstitious and began to speculate that perhaps he had just passed from earth, and that his spirit was now with me, trying to force a recognition. As I was thus ruminating, my office boy announced that a gentleman wanted to see me. I was just about to send back the word, not in, when behind the boy, through the half-open door, I beheld a tall, handsome, and elegantly dressed man of commanding personal appearance. My rule had been never to permit anyone to enter my private apartments except on my personal invitation, and as the boy seemed entirely unconscious of his presence, I knew that some mistake had been made, and instinctively felt that the man was not an intruder. So all that remained for me was to recognize the requirements of common politeness and invite him in. As he entered the room, I mentally took his photograph. He was tall, symmetrical, powerful, with a high intellectual forehead, dark, deep-set eyes, dark hair and whiskers, and dark complexion. His countenance was very impressive, inspiring the beholder with a feeling of respect and confidence. As the door closed behind him, he fixed his large, penetrating eyes upon me, as if he were reading my inmost thoughts, and after a moment's scrutiny said, Have I the honor of addressing Dr. Thomas H. Day, who was a surgeon some years ago on a vessel engaged in the East India trade? yes i replied that is my name and i was surgeon on an east indiaman then he continued may i further ask if you remember a young man on the vessel in the capacity of supercargo who greatly trusted and confided in you his words penetrated my inmost being like a shock and i exclaimed impulsively you mean jack adams i feel it i know it is he still living he is alive and well he said and your prompt recognition demonstrates that you are the man i am looking for i bring you word from jack adams he was also a trusted friend of mine in whom i felt deeply interested when he occupied the humble position of cabin-boy on a steamer between new york and liverpool his words came to me like a flash of sunlight dispelling at once the clouds which had seemed to paralyze all my energies I felt that any word from Jack Adams would be an inexpressible relief to my present agitated state of mind. I grasped my visitor's hand with a warmth I could not restrain, and with an enthusiasm that must have appeared to him effusive, I said, Thank God! Your words thrill me with delight. I will esteem any message from Jack Adams a blessing, and the messenger a benefactor. You are indeed a welcome visitor and you have placed me under bonds of gratitude by removing a most oppressive burden from my mind. He returned the pressure of my hand in a manner I had hardly expected, and handed me a card on which was traced a significant inscription in Jack's well-known handwriting, which, if any confirmation was necessary, would have removed every possible doubt. Shaking his hand again, I asked, Will we ever have a world of truth such as has been the dream of every altruist? Jack has found it, said my visitor, and we must make it. That is the mission he sends me on. He has made it his life work to discover just how this may be accomplished with the greatest ease, and to convey this information to us. Then you are doubly welcome, I said. Be seated and make yourself at home. I hail you as a brother in a common cause, even if, as yet, I have no name by which to call you. Excuse me, he said i should have introduced myself before but i was so overjoyed at finding dr day that i forgot he knew nothing about me my name is leo vincennes i have been in the public service in some capacity ever since i came to years of maturity as soldier sailor scout and later as civil engineer and explorer i come now from alaska and my special business here is to see you and deliver a message committed to my care by our esteemed brother and co-worker jack adams i had moved my chair as near to him as decorum would permit and said in reply i am indeed happy to meet you mr vincennes i have been thinking of jack all day and i want you to tell me all about him i last saw him at cape lisburn on the northwestern coast of alaska mr vincennes related where i was on the lookout for a vessel that was to take me and my party to san francisco we were employed on the coast survey and our allotted portion of the work included the cape where we went into camp about the last of june our lookout was on top of the bluff which at this point rises to a height of about eight hundred feet above the level of the sea the other members of our party were out on a hunt while i remained at the lookout through my glass i had a clear view of the sea for leagues away and i continued to sweep the horizon with my glass as the unusually early breaking up of the ice Led me to expect the appearance of a ship at any time. I casually turned my glass and espied a speck on the horizon, a little to the east of north, that at first gave me the impression of a distant sail. Not thinking of a vessel from that direction, I observed it more closely, and soon saw that it was not on the surface of the water, but evidently in the air and coming directly toward me. It looked like some monstrous bird, of a magnitude such that I had never conceived. In my long experience as a soldier, sailor, scout, and explorer of the polar regions, I had been accustomed to remarkable adventures, and had come to take pride in the fact that I could face danger of any kind without a tremor. But I do not hesitate to confess that as this gigantic, winged phenomenon of the heavens bore down toward me, I quivered in every vein and fiber of my being. It came with a rapidity that was startling. And ere I could recover my equanimity sufficiently to determine whether I should try to get out of the way or take my chances with the monster, it came to a halt directly over my head, and I could see that it was some kind of a mechanical contrivance for navigating the air, and that its movements were controlled by human intelligence. It remained stationary for a moment, as if its occupant were taking observations, and then dropped slowly down and alighted on the highest point of the cape, within twenty feet of where I was standing. As this strange vessel came to a rest, a door opened, and out stepped a young man, who said in the clearest of English, Well, well, I declare, here is the same Leo Vincennes who gave me my first lessons in navigation. How glad I am to see you so far north. I was heading south for the mouth of the Yukon when I discovered you scanning the horizon with your glass. I then changed my course a little to the west and came directly to you. I recognized his features, but was dazed and stood rooted to the ground. Seeing my embarrassment, he advanced, extending his hand as he said, Surely you have not forgotten Jack Adams, the cabin boy who sailed on the same ship with you from New York to Liverpool, and asked you so many questions about ships and a seafaring life? I grasped his hand, but for a moment my brain seemed benumbed, and my tongue, to use an oft-quoted phrase, claved to the roof of my mouth. I could only look at him in open eyed wonder. The same smooth faced lad that I had known and admired, nay, loved, fifteen years ago. My temporary paralysis gave way to a flood of feeling such as I had never experienced before, and I convulsively shook his hand as I exclaimed, Yes, yes, my dear old Jack, I remember you, but never again did I expect to meet you, and least of all on this barren rock, in the regions of eternal ice, beneath the midnight sun and dropping from the heavens in this mundane sphere where did you come from and whither are you going have you put off this mortality with all its weakness and put on immortality in some far-off clime of perpetual youth beyond the utmost limit of our earthly vision hold on leo he exclaimed with that mischievous twinkle in his eye that i remember so well don't for heaven's sake get superstitious remember that if the kingdom of heaven can be established in us there evidently must be more in this mundane sphere than has ever been dreamed of in our philosophy i am no visitant from another world but i do come from another country where man is master of his environments instead of being their servile victim just as you and i and all of the brothers and sisters on our plane of thought believe that all of this glorious old world ought to be we must continue to spread the light and inspire our common humanity in every stage of development wherever found with higher aspirations and brighter ideas of what is in store for them we must give them hope and courage the good time coming so oft foretold is almost here and it will be realized just as soon as a respectable minority can be brought to fully comprehend the way out of all their miseries as well as they now understand the crushing effects of their present environments it is for us to speak the word that will save them from all their miseries pains and woes here and now without waiting for some far-off time and wonderful change to be brought about in some mysterious and incomprehensible manner no no leo this is no time for us to stop and simply wonder at something that is merely the birthright of every human being while by a little well-devised intelligent and earnest effort on the part of the very few reformers who are not yet entirely submerged we can secure to every human being every blessing he or she is capable of appreciating There is nothing impossible about this, and if the world is not redeemed from its present low estate, it will be because the few altruists in the world do not make the necessary effort. And they will surely make that effort when they comprehend how easy it is to quietly and peacefully remove the burdens that ignorance and greed have imposed, and thus rescue the toiler from the grasp of the selfish. How much are you willing to do toward this work of saving the world? Could you be persuaded to forget self for a while, and lend your services to the cause of humanity, by spreading the light that will save it, and save it too before even the older people of this generation shall have passed off the stage? I was carried away by his earnest appeal, and promptly responded, I am indeed willing to make any conceivable sacrifice in such a cause, my dear old Jack, but you must tell me what to do and how to do it then can you go into the interior of the united states to the great missouri valley and deliver a message from me to a dearly loved friend which will secure his assistance i certainly will i said personal matters require my presence in new york i shall go from here to san francisco and thence across the continent by rail and can stop off at any point you desire i have been notified that in the private papers of richard sage who died some years ago a document was found clearly proving that i am one of the heirs to a large property which was held in trust for miners whose whereabouts were unknown to the testator my grandfather i am the representative of those heirs as i spoke jack's countenance became ashen pale and the expression hard and stony and as i concluded he asked in tones that struck me with a chill like a polar wave and is richard sage dead He died nearly fifteen years ago, I said. Committed suicide, I believe. Did you know him? I think so, he said. He was a friend of my father. But, he added after a short pause, his face regaining its usual winning and kindly expression, we have no time to give to the discussion of the dead past. Come with me and take a look at our earth from the cozy cabin of the Aeolus, while I tell you something of my adventures in the way of polar exploration and explain what it is that i want you to do we stepped into a small but luxuriantly furnished car which i shall not attempt to describe and seated ourselves upon a soft cushioned divan the walls were paneled on all sides with large transparent sections through which we obtained a clear and seemingly magnified view of the surrounding scenery there we were poised on the highest point of this towering rock overlooking the sea the rolling waves of which dashed themselves into foam on the rocks below. Jack manipulated a delicately arranged keyboard at his side, and in a minute more we were flitting to and fro far above the earth at an almost inconceivable speed, and then loitering along or standing still to get a better view of objects of especial interest. Jack handed me what looked like a peculiarly constructed opera glass. And requested me to take a peep at Cape Lisburn through the transparent section at the bow, though we were miles away, I felt that I could reach out and pick up a pebble anywhere along this rock-bound shore. This explained a mystery, and I turned to Jack and said, "I can now understand how it was that you discovered me at such a great distance. For when I first saw you, your ship was but a speck in several points to the east of north. Yes, he said i discovered you on the lookout when several leagues away i had not expected to find civilized people so far north as soon as i saw you i put the aeolus to her greatest speed directly toward you lest you should leave the lookout as i came nearer i felt sure that i recognized your features and i at once made up my mind that i had found one whom i could trust to assist me in the work i had undertaken to perform This fortunate meeting enables me to return immediately and relieve the painful anxiety of many loving hearts concerning my safety. They had a most exaggerated conception of the perils I would be compelled to encounter in attempting to traverse these frozen regions. He told me a wonderful story of his trials, perils and adventures in getting past the great ice barriers, and his discovery of a world of truth beyond when we had circumnavigated the country for miles around we slowly descended to earth and alighted at the same spot from which we started and as we separated he to return to his new home beyond the ice barriers i to come to you he placed his portmanteau in my hands and said go to dr thomas h day at kansas city and if he will agree to publish the manuscript contained in this portmanteau and scatter it broadcast over the world place it in his hands and tell him to use the gold contained also therein which was contributed by the crew of the ice king for that purpose for nothing but gold the fetish of this benighted and money enslaved external world can command labor and yet it is labor and not gold that is the sole producer of everything essential to the sustenance and comfort of humanity if dr day cannot be found or is so situated that he cannot attend to this matter Use the gold yourself to find a publisher, and have eight printed volumes for me when I return with another manuscript of even more value from the same fruitful field of discovery. And now, Dr. Day, continued my visitor, will you undertake to discharge the trust committed to you by Jack Adams? I will gladly do so, I replied, for anything from Jack will surely be a blessing to humanity. He placed the portmanteau in my hands and said, I must bid you adieu. Send the eight volumes for Jack to my address at Fort Yukon, Alaska, and as many more for myself, unless I should send you other directions. I shall be anxious to read the book as soon as it is published. Jack must have passed through some trying ordeals, and from what I saw, his discoveries have been wonderful. But I must go. I tried to detain him, but with a cordial grasp of my hand, he was gone i turned and opened the portmanteau with the key that was attached it contained a package securely enclosed in a wrapper of some waterproof material and marked m s and below was a glittering array of gold eagles i examined the package manuscript more closely on either side it was addressed to dr thomas h day kansas city and below was written in the name of civilization I ask that whoever may find this package shall place it in the hands of those who will publish the manuscript contained therein, and have it scattered broadcast over the world so that the discoveries recorded shall not be lost to humanity. Signed, Nequa. This was repeated in French, German, Norwegian, Russian, and Spanish. And now, dear reader, I shall give you the contents of this remarkable manuscript from the pen of my sailor comrade of years back. Jack Adams but known in his new home as Nequa the teacher ponder well the lessons taught in these wonderful discoveries yours truly Thomas H Day end of chapter 1